Come on. Spending too much time on social? Is your daily screen time over two hours? Are you a little bit overweight? Not saving enough money? Any or all of these are familiar. Strive could be for you. The Strive two-week online boot camp will help you to detox your mind, body, and money, getting you on your way to a happier, healthier, wealthier, and more confident life. Go to strivedetox.com, S-T-R-I-V-E-D-E-T-O-X.com, and get your mind, body, and money right. Michael, are you ready? I am ready. Excellent. I'm ready. The people are ready. Let's go. Welcome to Money Savage Engage. This is George Grumbacher. Michael Siever is a speaker, leadership consultant. He is an executive coach and a returning guest on Money Savage. Welcome back, Michael. Thank you so much, George. I'm very grateful you invited me back, and thank you to everybody listening today. Yes. So refresh our memory. Tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. I think the thing that I'm most proud of is being stepdad to an awesome human named Aaliyah, cat dad to an awesome <laughs> cat named Cleopatra, and you know, personally, I just love being outdoors. So if it's hiking, if it's golfing, if it's if it's meditating in nature, you know, personally, you can find me doing things uh, outside where I have a chance to be quiet or or do something active. Uh, as you mentioned a second ago, speaking, consulting, uh, coaching, got a number of books that I put out, blog every single month, online courses available if people want to learn about uh, personal branding and emotional intelligence. And I love posting on social media once a day, once every other day, just kind of putting out a new idea to help people uh, awaken or align more with their authentic self. I think if there's one word that describes me and my work or my uh, time on this planet, it's it's authenticity and trying to help uh, discover that for myself also help other people discover it for themselves. And, you know, my work is really about moving people who are disengaged to become engaged or someone's unhappy, help them to become more aligned or really just help them increase the percent of the day that someone spends living their life's mission. If I can do that, it's been a pretty damn good day. Amen to that, man. Help increase the percentage of time that people spend working on their mission. I was just, I've been thinking a good amount about Maybe not that specifically, uh, but yesterday I was, I was thinking about living a fully engaged life. And while it may not be possible for everybody because there's some people that are maybe stuck in a job because they have bills to pay or a family to support, how how, how, how do you kind of counsel them to feel like they are living that mission for as much as possible? Yeah. You know, it, it, it's not an easy thing, right? Because from a very young age, um, our parents essentially teach us the, the ways that our parents went through life. And, and then we just kind of subconsciously unknowingly do those things throughout the, the latter parts of our life. And so my work is very much about bringing to uh, the surface things that their parents might have taught them when they were young and then helping them to really uncover themselves. And, and so whether it's through helping them write a personal mission statement or whether it's helping to define their top core values or getting really, really clear on goals or moving time around in any given week to make sure that they're doing things every day that that separate them a little bit from their past 
past and reconnect them a little bit with who it is that they're really truly meant to be. Those are the things that on a day to day basis, if I can do that, like I really feel like they're going to be able to find that sense of of happiness in ways that they might not have been able to find it before. I think that that is, I mean, <clears throat> for me personally, we, we, we were talking a little bit before we hit record and I was joking, uh, sort of half funny, half not funny that I spent 20 years doing the work as a financial advisor, but not really being a financial, uh, financial advisor. And it kind of seems like if we're not careful, we're, we're going to live underneath, uh, the, 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 the lives that our parents imprinted upon us, the values that they imprinted upon us and never really figure out who we really are. Yeah, I agree. So how, how, how does one go about uncovering themselves for, for lack of a better term and moving towards clarifying, crystallizing what is really most important to them? Sure. And I'll look at this through the lens of like, uh, core values and, you know, I'm really looking at a, a core value for a person as being a, a fundamental belief about he or she or what is most important to, to him or her. And it's really this lifelong practice. And, and they're almost like guiding principles that someone can use that they would do or have to form their sense of self and or their purpose. So when I think about people making decisions today and kind of getting to that point of clarity for themselves, oftentimes it's, it's really about choosing better constraints on someone's life. And sometimes I think those constraints are, are as simple as our like top five or six core values. And when we really take that step back and say, okay, uh, really consciously here are the things that I was taught as a, uh, as a child or as a teenager, or as somebody in my early twenties, what I do is, okay, let's, let's look at your top core values and then let's look at the time that you distribute week to week to week. And are you actually living your core values day to day? And so I use a card deck that has 55 core human values and I walk the person through about a 15 minute exercise that helps to choose essentially their top six core values. Mm-hmm. And then depending on where the person is in his or her journey, we can then brainstorm a number of ways to make sure that they're doing those more. But the, the process of having to shed old beliefs and old patterns and old time management structures, uh, what I really want them to focus on is starting slowly or starting softly. What I mean by that is, you know, could do the core values activity, but then this next week, just redistribute one 30 minute or one 60 minute segment of your time away from something that's not aligned with a core value or your mission to, and redistribute it into something that is aligned with your mission and or a core value. And then once we start to ramp that up and do that more and more and more, you know, in 90 days time or 120 days time, people are in a very, very different place. They're far more aligned and I think far more happy. Nice. I, I, I completely, I completely agree and, 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 and can certainly imagine that, uh, 90 days is a short amount of time, but it's also a very long amount of time just depending on what you're going through. But if you actually do the work during that amount of time, then I think that you will come out the other side, um, probably changed and, 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 and equipped to, to, to lead a happier life. I love the idea of having a deck of cards with core values on it. Uh, I imagine people receive that pretty well. It's, you, they do. And it's a really fun activity because there are tons of online personality assessments and inventories, but there's something different about a, a deck of cards that uh, forces a person in the moment on the spot 
to go from 55 down to six. Uh, it becomes a, a fun activity. So through the activity, it's roughly 15 minutes. I'm prompting them visually to really choose the core value through the lens of, you know, how do they make their, their life's toughest choices? And then I ask them and prompt them additional things at each step of the process. But for people who think that they're very clear on their core values, they oftentimes aren't. And it takes them a little bit longer to go through this activity but it's fun watching them do it because after they do it, I have them take a picture of their top six values and there's a sense of joy or even glee that that's on their face when they do that because it's something that they hadn't learned before. But then all of a sudden they've gone through this process where they were tangibly able to look at themselves in a new light. And now all of a sudden there's a sense of like, oh my gosh, I can go do something that I hadn't done before. Yeah, I, I, I can totally see that. I can visualize a big smile on somebody's face after having done the work and, and, and narrowed it down. So, so you, you, you find that, that people that, that, that come into this exercise with an idea of, of what their values already are, this is harder for them than people that, that maybe have never really thought about it. That's interesting. Yeah. So I use a, a product online. It's like, there's products like poll everywhere. And there's another one that I use called Mentimeter. And it's an online anonymous polling tool. So if I'm doing a very large uh, presentation from a large audience, I will anonymously poll them using Mentimeter and ask them questions about their core values. And many of people in the audience will say, yes, I know what they are. Uh, but when then I actually get the decks of cards out and have them do them, the things that they say afterwards, which are, I really didn't know what my core values were, I just thought that I did. Mm is a very common statement I hear after doing those presentations or giving those talks. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely believe that. That's that's not a surprise. It's, I think that that's fascinating and a very, very neat tool. So I, I, I can see that being very enjoyable. So, all right, so this idea that, you know, maybe, maybe your values aren't wrong, but maybe they're just not right for you. Yeah, you know what, that's the funny thing is that there, I don't remember like any time throughout my childhood or my time in college or my time in large corporations and tell me if I'm wrong, George, but I don't remember any time during that, those phases of my life where someone actually asked me to sit down and define what my core values were. And when I started to really think about that, I really started to think about, okay, so is the core value itself wrong or is it some other thing? So I don't believe that a person's core values can be wrong. I'm really the person that wants to empower somebody to take ownership of every aspect of their lives. So I don't like it when people blame other people or give their sovereignty or their power to somebody else, but how we live our core values, like literally our daily actions. Now, the reason that they might be wrong, isn't that the value itself is wrong. It's the application of the value. And what I mean by that is that when I travel around the world, what works in one country is terms of like a societal norm. Uh, or, you know, some sort of moray or some sort of way that that's that a society lives, the value might be out of alignment with that. So there can be a disconnect there. So I don't believe that the core value can be wrong. I believe that the application inside of a specific culture or system can be wrong. And I think that's where problems actually arise. And I, I think that's where we oftentimes have troubles inside of corporate America is that when a employee's core values don't match the organization's core values, then we start to get a lot of problems or situations that we want to be able to fix, but we don't necessarily have to have that. So I just want to make sure that people know the difference between, I think core values can't be wrong, but the application of them might be. I'm thinking oil and water, uh, you know, <laughs> trying to push, 
trying try, trying to push uh, the opposite side of magnets together or right. the same side of a magnet together uh, as, as that would be. Can you give me an example? Yeah, you know what? I was thinking about this. I have a client where a disproportionate amount of their employees uh, value family. So one of the cards is family. And when I think about that now, the traditional hierarchical structure um, may or may not value family, right? Because they want the person working in the office, not spending time with their family. So we have to reframe this idea of what does family mean inside of a company? And it's not necessarily a blood relation. It's more so like a way of behavior. It's more so a belief pattern or process. And George, you're great at this. You oftentimes refer to people that you know as like brother or sometimes sister. And <laughs> And which is great. And I actually use that. So just FYI, you've made a big impact on me where I teach people inside of organizations that if they do value family, let's use some of that same nomenclature that we might use at home. Let's use it inside of an organization. So if the organization says that they value family and many of the employees value family, but their daily habits and rituals and meeting structures and agendas they don't have anything to do with family or they're not creating that sense or piece of family, then that's where we need to start to change some of those procedures or processes to be more family centric. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that I, I have definitely incur or certainly encountered that. Um, and I think that, that, that manifests itself. I, I can think of a very specific company that, uh, that I got exposed to and they talked about how important it is for their, for their uh, employees to have, work-life balance and, and all that good stuff, but they would send out emails celebrating people that would work crazy hours or work on or on weekends and stuff like that. So it just wasn't necessarily congruent. Mm, a tremendous example. Yep, that happens quite a bit. And so, I mean, common sense says that that's not going to be good for company culture, but what 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 is it really, how does that really manifest? You're right. And so that's some of the times when I go in to try to change an organization's culture, one of the first questions I ask is, are you willing to change your compensation or bonus structures? Hmm. Because when it in first world countries, we're very heavily connected to or think that success has to do with money. And in, in some cases, that's true, but not for everybody. Somebody might value money or somebody might be motivated by money. Um, but if that's not some sort of a core motivator or value for your organization, be okay with changing the way that compensation is distributed. So most organizations will define their compensation based on individual accomplishment and achievement, but all of their core values talk about collaboration and teamwork. So I have to go in and actually get approval from boards and from C-suites to change the compensation structure to deliberately give money for projects that are being done together as a group, not for individual accomplishment. And if organizations are willing to do that, that's where we can actually start to shift culture to one that's far more collaborative, team-oriented, or family-oriented, if you will. Talk about putting putting your money where your mouth is. Literally. <laughs> and is it possible to to measure ROI on that? I think it is. In the way that that we've done this in a couple of organizations that I've supported was. They weren't doing employee engagement surveys or they weren't doing um, in the moment on the spot recognitions. And so we would then, you know, say, OK, let's do a baseline or a benchmark for where we're at right now for employee engagement surveys or how many times are we actually giving public recognitions from employee to employee using the system? 
And then we would go through and actually shift compensation structures or shift mentorship programs or shift some sort of strategy internally around talking about the core values. And then, you know, a year later, we're going to go through another cycle of employee engagement content or we're going to be able to check metrics around the number of recognitions that were distributed. So, in, you know, at its at face value, you wouldn't necessarily think that there was an ROI there. But what I've seen in the last 18 to 24 months is that when organizations do this stuff well, employee engagement goes up, productivity goes up, top line goes up, contribution margin goes up, and all of a sudden you're looking at the world through a very different lens because you're engaging people in ways that they hadn't been engaged before. Yeah, and that certainly makes sense to me, and I, 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 I believe it to be 100% accurate that um, that over the long term it absolutely will have a, a massive difference. and not going to probably see it on a quarterly basis, um, so it requires a company, an organization, and leadership team to, to be able to, to have that longer-term look. You had sent me something in, in advance of our conversation today about an MIT study. I would, I would love to talk about that. Sure. So uh, I think it was early 2019, uh, MIT uh, Sloan had one of their professors do a study essentially on are emotions in the workplace contagious? Hmm. And it was a very interesting study because MIT is it's an engineering school. It's very well known for uh, you know learning uh, through rote learning, uh, doing things you know in spreadsheets and and coding and all things very tangible. And so for them to come out with something that was kind of the opposite, right? That was much more emotion based. I it really struck me. And so I've used it in a couple of presentations, and it's it's been a, a really good piece of data. But essentially what they found was that regardless of the emotion, positive and or negative, somehow or another, when a person was overly emotional in the office, that other people picked up somehow on that emotion and then adjusted their behavior. And so the same way that a cold or the flu or some sort of a sickness might get brought into the office by a person, we now have data to show that a person's emotions when coming into the office have the exact same effect. Which certainly doesn't surprise me, I, 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 I guess, to a degree. And to your point, it is sort of kind of funny that, that MIT is the, is the entity that actually did that. But we've all walked into, if it's a stadium or, or a company and there's a certain electricity, it's a very real thing. Mm-hmm. So I think that emotions, like anything else, can, can be contagious. I, yeah, think about just uh, a few days back from the time of this recording, uh, there was a really, really large football game, <laughs> and I can only imagine, you know, what the what the the scene was like down in Miami, anywhere in Miami, right around the time of that football game, and just the 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 hype that people were feeling. So whether it's a really positive thing, like going somewhere where you're watching a sporting event and having a great time, uh, or if it's going into the office and there's a lot of you know, tough conversations being had, you're going to feel that really quickly and adjust your behavior. So we see it in society. Now we've actually got some proof to show that it's actually a legit thing and we can make inroads or ways to be able to tweak or adjust that. Um, and I think that we do that through kind of like core values or personal mission. So it's just a matter of us knowing those things and figuring out ways to distribute time differently so that we don't bring bad feelings or negative emotions into the workplace as often as we might. I love it. Michael, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? You know what? And I was thinking about this, and I was like, I want to connect this to the MIT study because I think it's that powerful. And the the difference-making tip is know your shit, 
understand your shit, but don't lose your shit. <laughs> and the reason why the reason why I say that is that when we think about our core values and we think about how we show up to work each day, if we're doing one thing each week that's out of alignment with one of our core values, figure out a way to remove that thing from your weekly schedule and then brainstorm some ways that you can live your core values just a little bit more and add one of those things in the in the place of the thing that you just took away. So as you redesign your day to invest more time into living your core values and your life's work, you're not going to lose your shit at work as much as you might have just a couple of months ago. So just be mindful. Your emotions do matter when you bring them into the workplace. Let's take one bad thing away that's out of alignment with your core values and let's bring one thing to work that is in alignment with your core values. Well, that is great stuff. That definitely gets it. Come on. Come on. Michael. Thank you so much for coming back on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? I think the best place for folks to keep an eye on me is michaelssiever.com. And there's <clears throat> there's two S's in there. My middle name is Scott, so michaelssiever.com. And I think the, the most authentic content, if you want to learn about me being a cat dad or the places that I travel <laughs> and, and speak, is probably on Instagram. Instagram. So uh, Michael S. Siever is my handle on Instagram. So michaelssiever.com or just look up Michael S. Siever on Instagram. Perfect. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Michael your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Go to michaelssiever.com. Follow him on Instagram and I'll list all those in the notes of the show. Thank you again, Michael. It is my pleasure. Thank you, George. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together.